0: Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast of The Lancet Oncology. My name is Marcia and today I have the pleasure to discuss our series on women cancers. I am joined by two authors, Professor Ignacio Vergote from the Belgium and Luxembourg Gynecological Oncology Group to discuss the consensus paper on clinical research in ovarian cancer, and Professor Maria Curio from Imperial College London in the UK talk about the consensus on terminology for con-dimensions after local conservative treatment for cervical intraepithelial neoplasia and early invasive cervical cancer. Professor Bergote, we start with you, welcome. Could you please give us some context about why these guidelines on ovarian cancer clinical research are needed?
1: It's always very important to have consensus uh, amongst many academic groups and the Gynecological Cancer Intergroup is an organization that assembles more than 33 academic cooperative groups from all over the world, doing the most uh, important research in gynecological cancer. Uh, This is the sixth meeting. So we are doing this every year. This time it was one year more due to Corona. So six years ago, we had a similar meeting in Tokyo. And on these meetings, we are focused in not specifically on standard of care, but on clinical research, what should be the reference arms, what should be the timing of the CTs or the other examinations, what are the endpoints, the certification factors, what should we do with frail people, frail persons, and so on. So this is why these GCIG consensus meetings are so important to report and To get consensus on.
0: Thank you. Can you highlight some recommendations or statements from this paper that reflect the progress made in ovarian cancer clinical research in these past few years?
1: It's of course difficult to pick out uh, out of 33 statements with each at least five sub-statements to pick out one or two, but I will try. Um, I think the... uh, Place of primary debulking or knee chemotherapy in advanced ovarian cancer is an important one. And what has changed is making different indications according to the histological type of the patients. We also um, have uh, new recommendations on the role of maintenance PARP treatment in first line and how to combine it with Bevacizumab or giving it separately. Uh, also, the new standard of cares in chemotherapy have been fine-tuned. For recurrent disease, I think a very important factor is that we finalized the topic which we started already in Tokyo six years ago, namely that we do not think we can talk about plant sensitive recurrent and platinum resistant recurrent ovarian cancer anymore because some platinum resistant patients respond and some sensitive do not respond. That's why we made new criteria for patients whom platinum is an option or platinum, for whom platinum is not an option. And I think this is one of the major breakthroughs on which we worked on the last uh, six years. Also, the importance of secondary debulking surgery at the time of relapse has been highlighted. And in this consensus meeting, we also have quite a number of statements on the ovarian cancers, which are not the f- usual or frequent ones, so the non-epithelios, but also the non-high-grade serious epithelial ovarian cancers. And finally, we made some important statements on new uh, designs for trials. So, And then unmet and the needs are also defined, but that's for the next meeting important. Then. So a lots, lot lots to, to discuss about it.
0: Loads of work done. Which major breakthroughs in ovarian cancer treatment occurred in the past 10 years? And have you found any major roadblocks?
1: The past 10 years, I think the most important is what i am touched on already, is uh, that we have now uh, the PARP inhibitors. And the discovery of what we call the synthetic lethality, when you combine or give a PARP inhibitor in a patient with a BRCA mutation, both are involved in the repair of double strand breaks of DNA. When you give this PARP inhibitors to BRCA mutated patients, you see exceptional high response rates. And in this consensus meeting, we have seen that not only BRCA mutated patients in germline have an advantage of PARP inhibitors also when it's not present in the germline, but also in the tumor. And and finally, in first line, even patients who do not have a BRCA mutation, but what we call HRD homologous recombination deficiency, also have a similar effect of PARP inhibitors. You asked also about hurdles. Well, for instance, uh, adapting the ovarian cancer field and the management of ovarian cancer to do these BRCA mutation analyses in tumors and in germline has been a first hurdle which we have taken. The next hurdle which is difficult to take is to get all patients tested for homologous recombination deficiency. And of course, for patients who do not have BRCA mutation or HRD, so what we call the HR-proficient patients is the next difficult group, besides of course the recurrences, especially those where we cannot use platinum.
0: Thank you very much, Professor Virgold. Professor Curio, welcome. Could you please give us an overview of the surgical treatment landscape for cervical precancer?
2: Thank you very much. Um, surgical treatment uh, for cervical precancer and early invasive cancer includes techniques that pretty much all of them remove or ablate a cone-shaped part of the cervix that contains the so-called transformation zone that has all the abnormal cells. There are ablative and excisional techniques and I think over the years there's been an evolution in the techniques that we have been using starting in the 80s with the surgical knife, moving to more refined technologies such as the laser and more recently the use of the diathermic through a loop or a needle excision.
0: And does your paper change what we know so far?
2: I think it's very important that we spend several years thinking that all of these techniques are equally efficacious and more recently we found that these techniques are also associated with adverse outcomes in a subsequent pregnancy which we didn't know until 2006 and we found that there is a difference in the severity of that prematurity according to the technique and the depth of the cone and that led to a recent paper that tried to actually understand what is the trade-off between the efficacy of the treatment and the actual risk of having premature birth because the majority of these women are women of reproductive age so it's very important to understand whether there is a difference in the oncological outcomes the recurrence as well as the impact that this has on subsequent pregnancy so our paper uh, is probably the first one to document that there is a difference in the recurrence rates between techniques, something that we didn't know until now. And this is because we were able to make uh, use of all the literature, including randomized and observational data, uh, and be able to reach conclusions that actually the treatment is not exactly the same for every technique in terms of recurrence rate, and certainly not in terms of preterm birth rates and that this is affected by the technique and also the depth of the cone and therefore you may need to individualize the kind of treatment that you use according to the woman's age, her wishes and her future uh, fertility aspirations.
0: Your paper aims to provide some consensus around terminology for con after local conservative treatment for cervical intraepithelial neoplasia and early invasive cervical cancer. How did this project come about? So this project started exactly because
2: with all this research we have been doing on the surgical techniques, we realized that it is the technique and more importantly, the depth of the excision, the the length of the cone that we remove that matters and that affects substantially how we monitor these women uh, in in clinics antenatally, uh, which women remain at high risk of premature birth. And we realized through the ESCO prevention committee, this is the European Society of Gynecological Oncology, that there is a very wide variation in the way that this is reported by pathologists, by clinicians, and the way that this is reported and recorded makes it harder to then use it to inform your counseling in the clinic and your tailored interventions in future pregnancies. So we brought together different societies, the ESCO, the European Society of Pathology, the IFCPC, which is the International Federation of Corposcopy and Cervical Pathology, the EFC, which is the European Federation of Corposcopy. And we came to a consensus agreement on how those dimensions should be recorded, reported, and uh, and therefore used in the future to inform clinicians and patients about their risks.
0: Thank you to both our speakers for agreeing to speak to us today and to all our listeners. This series is now available online at lancetoncology.com and with our August issue.